Well, Don, thank you for being uh, with us this morning. And uh, this is just one story of many stories from Mercy Ships. And uh, before we get to how Mercy Ships started, which is its own wonderful story, for, for those in the congregation who don't know the work of Mercy Ships, what do you do? What does Mercy Ships do? Um, imagine the nicest hospital here in I would say Perth, but you say Perth, right? <laughs> <laughs> the nicest hospital on a ship in the neediest parts of the world, Africa in particular, with nurses, doctors, anesthetists, all of the staff, radiologists, there because they want to be there and believe they are called to be there following the 2,000-year-old model of Jesus to bring hope and healing, to bring Jesus to those like we just saw with the story of Samban. That's what Mercy Ships is. Picture in your mind your best hospital in the poorest parts of Africa. That's who we are. And uh, I did a little bit of research. The, the latest figures that I could find were that... Uh, Mercy Ships has performed more than 106,000 life-changing or life-saving surgical procedures, which is quite incredible in its history, and uh, all kinds of other things as well. C can you tell us, Don, how, how did this all come about? Well, I'm not sure where to start. Probably, probably at the beginning. <laughs> uh, I had a dream as a boy from reading a magazine in rural western Colorado. My family, I grew up in a farming and ranching community. And there was a weekly publication, maybe it was monthly, I think it was weekly, called Life Magazine. I think it was just in the US. I don't know that it was in the UK. But the cover was a photo of a fleet of ships. And the banner said, the Great White Fleet. And it was the US was reconsidering our foreign policy. We didn't do it. I'm, I'm disappointed we didn't, but we were considering it. There would be a trade ship where you could learn carpentry or metallurgy or mechanics or electrician, electricity or electronics. There would be another ship that would be a university ship. There would be a ship focused on different areas that would go to bring hope and healing. They even used those words. But there was one ship that was a hospital ship. And that's the only one that actually materialized. The others didn't. It was only an idea. The hospital ship was called the good ship Hope. And many people will remember the hospital ship Hope. And they used words like hope and healing, uh, acts of mercy, deeds of mercy. And that was in my mind as a boy, teenager. Now, fast forward, let's see, my special needs son, we, ha we have four children, a daughter and three boys, our middle boy, John Paul, is special needs, and he's 54. 
He was less than two years old when this happened. I flew to Calcutta to be with a university classmate of mine, Dr. Ron Shaw, who was an Anglo-Indian. His PhD was in education. He was the headmaster of a school in Calcutta. And he worked with a Canadian missionary family, Dr. Mark and Hulda Buntain, who had built a hospital. Now, I didn't know it, but the Buntains were friends with Mother Teresa. So here's this evangelical missionary family that are friends with this Catholic nun, Mother Teresa, that we know now has been given sainthood in the Catholic Church. She would leave her center and go stay in the apartment that was next door to the Buntain's apartment. That's the venue where I found myself in 1977 or 78. So I'm 78 today, that's 54 years ago. I'll give you an idea. I didn't have any white hair. <laughs> I was a young man. I really wondered what, I I'd sensed a call from missions since I was a boy. In fact, Dion and I left our home church and our families in Western Colorado on one-way tickets to come to Europe because we believe we were called to be missionaries. We just didn't know how or what or what manner. So that's the background. And I said to Dr. Shaw, my classmate friend, we're in Calcutta, wouldn't it be wonderful or be interesting or exciting, whatever the words were, to meet Mother Teresa? Now, never mind that there are, I don't know, seven million people in Calcutta. I, I think it's over, I don't know, it, it's, it's one of the largest cities in the world now. And Ron came back later in the afternoon. It was, it was kind of a throwaway comment. It, it wasn't a serious request. And he came back in the afternoon and he said, Don, we've been in touch with Mother Teresa's office and I have a meeting scheduled for you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Well, I don't know about you, but I was petrified. <laughs> what, what are you gonna say to Mother Teresa? You know how the mind works, I was thinking, why did we ever say that? <laughs> so next day, 7 a.m., we're in a, a very simple room, four chairs. I'm here, my friend is here with me. We're closer than this. There are cane back chairs, there are two other chairs here. Mother Teresa's here, and one of the other sisters is right there. And uh, we said the introductions, we were seated, and I reached in my jacket pocket to pull out my questions. I spent much of the night writing out questions and didn't like any of them. And so the first question was the same question you've asked. How did you begin? So I said to Mother Teresa, Mother Teresa, how did you begin? And this is the way I remember it, because she, she's right here. She reached out and pushed my hand with the cards away and looked directly in my eyes and said, Don, I will not answer a single question about me. We, meaning the two of them, have actually prayed for this meeting and I want to ask you questions. 
Well, if I was nervous before, I'm scared now. <laughs> you know how the mind works. What, what is she going to ask me? The first question was, why were you born? And I did not answer. You know, it's probably the one of the most basic philosophical questions of life for all of us. Why were we born? And she could see that I was struggling to answer, so she helped me. Why do you think God put you on earth? What's your purpose? Why are you here? Why were you born? Not really knowing what to say, I reached into my memory and I told her of this dream that I had, a concept of a hospital ship to serve Africa. Very rudimentary communication and she gave me a gift immediately. Meaning she didn't laugh at my dream. Now she could have said, you have a maritime background, you're from Scotland, you understand ships of the sea? No, I'm from rural Western Colorado. She didn't laugh at my dream. And let's, let's take this to heart that we don't laugh at the dreams of others. Because if we're not careful, our laughter can be used negatively or to undermine or bring security. She didn't do that. She said something like this, again, this is 54 years ago. Um, this is not verbatim. This is the impact it had on me. She said something like, that's a big dream. And in my, in Mother Teresa's understanding of theology, dreams of that size or significance often have pain. Second question, where is your pain? So there were three questions. Why were you born? Where's your pain? What are you doing about why you were born? Very simple question. First one is, why were you born? I told her about the dream of a hospital ship. Where's your pain? Well, men don't like to talk about pain. <laughs> I don't think any of us do, male or female. But we all experience it. Where was my pain? So I found myself trusting her, so I told her of our less than two-year-old special needs son, John Paul. Because a young father, I, uh, we didn't, no parent ever expects a special needs child. So with the surprise, of course you love this little one that has been given to you, but you think of what is the future? How is this going to impact our family? What can we do? What can we not do? How's it going to change? I wondered if we should go home. Was this the end of our calling to serve God? Little did I realize it was the beginning of the most significant service that God would have for us. So Mother Teresa, let me just tell you a little bit about John Paul. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> he lives at home with us. He's a beautiful, Dion help me now, he's 47. Where are you? I can't see you. She's not yet. 47. Nodding. She's nodding. He lives at home with us. Our routine is 
He gets up in the morning, scoots out and scoots on his bottom, scoots into our bedroom or we'll hear him in the hallway. Dion typically greets him, gets breakfast ready for him. We share him breakfast. Then I take him and shower and shave him and we dress him and get him ready for the day. And we have uh, an adult caregiver that comes by to take him three days a week to a special activity center. John Paul is nonverbal. He's never said a word in his life. He's never said mama, papa, daddy, and mom. He has four signs. This is how he gives his name. He beats his chest. It's not really a proper sign for John Paul, but that's his sign for his name. And puts his palm to his lips. That's eat. Turns it over. That's drink. Taps it on his palm of his hand for on or start or do or go and he uses those signs uh, uh, without discrimination you never know which sign he's going to use but he's a lovely young man he's ours we love him but 40 some years ago that was the source of my pain what are we going to do and Mother Teresa helped me understand a new thought. It's evangelical theology as well, but she was giving it to me from her Catholic background. C.S. Lewis wrote the book, The Problem of Pain, Answer the Question. We, for, the, for Catholics, they understand that God often uses pain to prepare for purpose. I want to repeat it. God often uses pain to prepare for purpose. Mother Teresa helped me get a new understanding that perhaps God and his wisdom had given the enemy, John Paul, to prepare us for the purpose of a hospital ship to serve Africa. Well, I, I don't like to admit it, but it's true. <laughs> um, I'm not sure we'd have a hospital ship without John Paul. He's become uh, a driving force. He's been part of what God has used to help us understand the suffering, the pain, the lostness, the aloneness of others. As we've loved and cared for John Paul, it's prepared us for a hospital ship to serve Africa. And the last question just as direct. And Mother Teresa, it's not, she's about as tall as Anne Globe. <laughs> <laughs> this, this little person was a powerhouse and very direct. The third question was in your face, for me at least. What are you doing about it? Well, I hadn't done anything. I'd written it out on a yellow legal pad, but that's all. Mother Teresa helped me understand that many people had come to see her who had dreams and wanted to tell her about their dream, but they'd never done anything about it. And she helped me understand that an important step that could not be missed and must be acted upon immediately was to move from thinking about it, praying about it, writing about it, to doing something about it. So fast forward back, I flew home from Calcutta to Geneva, Switzerland, Diana and I were living in Lausanne. She met me at the Geneva airport. We're driving home. 
She's asked me about my time in Calcutta. I've told her just what I've told you about my meeting with Mother Teresa. And when I got to where Mother Teresa said, what are you doing about it? Dion said, Mother Teresa said that to you? What are you doing about your dream? I said, yes. And she said, well, Don, you better start to look for ships. <laughs> That's the kind of a wife I have. Well, we're in Lausanne, Switzerland. We don't have a lot of ships. <laughs> Wouldn't you know it? In the sovereignty of God, one of the Swiss families that we'd met who were interested in us largely because watching us care for John Paul owned a shipping company, Swiss Atlantique. And the Andre family invited us down. Henry, Henri, Andre invited us down to the office, introduced us to his marine superintendent who put together the feasibility study, tactical plan, cost-benefit plan, deployment plan, all of the expertise in shipping that I didn't know and wouldn't have access to, they put together the plan that helped us begin. That's a short answer to how we began. <laughs> <laughs> 